This is 63% Scottish, a Scotland appreciation podcast. Yes, hello and welcome to 63% Scottish. My name is Eamon O'Flynn and I'm your host. In the first two episodes of this series, we've heard an eminent historian talk about modern Scotland as a cosmopolitan place, and we've discussed perhaps the most famous figure in Scottish history, William Wallace, with a podcaster. Next, I thought I'd ignore everything we've heard so far while seeking out a place that isn't exceptionally cosmopolitan and doesn't particularly associate with William Wallace, or the Scottish Wars of Independence, or even, at certain times, Scotland itself. I'm speaking of the Outer Hebrides, the outermost string of islands along Scotland's western coast. By North American or Australian standards, the Isle of Lewis, the largest of the Outer Hebrides, is not particularly remote. It's fewer than 300 kilometers or 200 miles from Glasgow, after all. And yet, historically and culturally, it's a world apart. Heck, until just about the time of William Wallace, it wasn't even a part of Scotland. It was a Norse community with Norse language and tradition. Even after the Treaty of Union in 1707, when the United Kingdom became a United Kingdom, those living in the Hebrides were not particularly loyal to or connected with the rest of Great Britain. And yet, there are echoes of other places in Hebridean history. They also suffered through the Highland Clearances, which we may discuss at some point. They also had a potato famine. They also suffered from substantial emigration and struggled to maintain their unique culture. Today, despite these challenges, the Outer Hebrides are the home of the Gaelic language in Scotland. They are the home of a far more traditional lifestyle than you'll find in many parts of Scotland. Again, it's easy to find the facts in a book or online, but I'm interested in what it's like to live somewhere like the Isle of Lewis. What would my life have been like if I'd been born there? What is the modern connection to the rest of Scotland? Is there an island culture? If so, what are its tenets? I decided to ask the best-known Outer Hebridean I could find, a man who is so thoroughly associated with the islands that his moniker references them. Kenyok MacLeod is the Hebridean baker. He is the best-selling author of two cookbooks and a massively successful social media influencer. If you haven't seen his videos on Instagram or TikTok, I, su I suggest you find them. He has traveled the world to promote his books and, in the process, share a little bit about his home, the Isle of Lewis. I've asked him to tell me, in about 25 minutes, what his life was like before he became an international celebrity. Enjoy. Okay, well, I, I think the first question I'd really like to ask you is, is uh, the question I've been asked throughout my entire life, which is, how do you say your name? I think everyone, anyone listening at home is looking at the, the episode title here and saying... I don't know. I don't know where this, what, what to say here. How, how do I say your name properly? Well, uh, first you felt you, Emma. Emma, great, great to, to be here. Um, well, you know what? It's one of these, when you grow up in the Edgar Hebrides, having the name that I have, pretty much everybody, there's men only, there's only like three men's names in on the Isle of Lewis. <laughs> so it was sort of a shock leaving the island to realize that it wasn't that common a name of the island. Mm -hmm. So I'm Kanyoch. Kanyoch McLeod, and um, don't laugh because I'm pleased this is a podcast because uh, Kanyoch is the old Gaelic word for handsome, and I'm sure yes. <laughs> I'm sure I was a very cute two-day-old baby 
Um, and it made it made complete sense then. It's gone downhill since then, sadly. Um, so, but yes, Kanyok McLeod, a, a very traditional Hebridean name. I, I think anyone listening will go find you right after this if they hadn't seen you already, and, and they'll make their own de- determination <laughs> there. But I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself. Uh, t- tell us, tell us about where you grew up. So you grew up in the Isle of Lewis, the the most outer of the Outer Hebrides. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Are you from the big city of Stornoway, or are you from a, a rural area? Uh, well, that, that's right. I'm from the the Isle of Lewis, and and I know many of your listeners will know geographically where that is, but. For those who don't, to put it into context, um, when I'm home on, on the island, I'm closer to the south coast of Iceland than I am the south coast of England. So we are hmm. kind of up north. <laughs> and that's yes. why we uh, often are very influenced by Scandinavia, be it in our culture and, and, and recipes. Um, but uh, you talk about the, the, the big city of Stornoway. No, funnily enough, my village, uh, which is called Cremor, uh, is probably, I think it's the farthest village away by road from, from the main town. And honestly, for me, growing up, going to Stornoway, it felt like going to Las Vegas. Like, really, it felt like the life <laughs> of Stornoway. Everything is relative, as you know, Eamon, growing up. Yes, yes, of course. Um, but Tremor is a, is a beautiful wee village in the area of Lochs in the southeast uh, of, of the island. And even the name uh, Tremor brings together the two cultures of um, the Viking era uh, and the Old Norse language and the Gaelic era on our language, Crow is the old Norse word for cattle or, you know, cows, basically. Cows. Um, and yep. more uh, is the Gaelic word for big. So I'm from big cow. Uh, the next village is Kropik, <laughs> which is the Gaelic for wee cow. So I remember growing up feeling quite proud that the Vikings thought we had bigger cows <laughs> than the next village. <laughs> so make that relative. That's, that's the upbringing yes. that I had. <laughs> That's and it's funny you say that because my my grandmother was from a a town here in in Canada that was a couple of thousand people, and the big the big town for her the big the city was the the town I grew up in which was about ten thousand people, and I always say to my wife who who came from the actual city that was close is close by which is about seventy thousand people that's where we went to go shopping and that's where there was a movie theater and and all these things. And she was like, oh, it's a small town. We went to the next city up, you know, <laughs> and then, so relative. they would drive. Yes, everything, everything is relative. It's relative. But uh, certainly, um, kind of, I remember my first time going to the mainland. And uh, it, it was a funny thing at the time, but it just was so otherworldly, you know, mm-hmm. to, to go to a city and see thousands of people. And even going to my first football game, you know, there were yeah. more people in the stadium then is on my whole island. <laughs> yes. So yeah. um, I, I, ch- I cherish my upbringing and uh, the reward I, I get from that is to be constantly amazed by, by the world that I, we have around us. But then it constantly makes me appreciate what I've got at home and I never want yes. to be anywhere else. <laughs> It, and just to, for anyone at, at home, Stornoway is uh, eight thousand people. Yeah, Stornoway's got eight thousand people. Yeah, um, but it does feel a bit bigger because it uh, it really is the town for all of the Outer Hebrides. 
uh, as mm-hmm. the main guy. So it does have a slightly bigger feel, but maybe even compared, I was recently in Orkney, uh, which of course is the Northern Isles of Scotland and visited Kirkwall. And again, that has a similar feel to it, but because of its slightly different history, there is a cathedral and an old bishop's palace. So it had a very different feel to Stornoway, which has a castle, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to uh, Sir James Matheson and all the, all the money he made from the opium trade and he was, he was doing in the Far East. Um, so it's amazing that even though you have maybe folk will have the perception that the islands might be quite similar, mm-hmm. they're so different. They really are. Yeah. So you mentioned going to uh, going to the the mainland of of Scotland, the, uh, off of the islands. What? How old were you when you would have gone for the first time? Uh, well, I think the first time I was just about to go into high school, sort of just turned twelve. Wow. And yeah. um, of course, you go to Inverness. Inverness <laughs> for us is the big the big city on the island. You. <laughs> You know, in those days, the ferry, which would have been the Sullivan Ferry over the Minch from Stornoway to Ullipool, would have taken just under four hours. Uh, mm-hmm. And then onto the bus for just under two hours to, to Inverness. So it was a big, big uh, adventure yeah. to go. Um, but uh, so it's got very fond memories, uh, Inverness. It's a lovely place. And I know many of your listeners will have traveled there as part of their Scottish adventures. But for me, I think my favorite city in Scotland is no doubt Glasgow. I think it's just such a wonderful city. It's got beautiful architecture, mm-hmm. a strong identity. Um, a lot of islanders and gales live and still live in Glasgow. It's a real destination. Um, I was in Glasgow uh, last weekend, actually, we were doing a photo shoot uh, and it was at the wonderful Park Bar, which is the pub where all the island folk go. And I actually, when I moved to Glasgow to go to university, I got a job in the Park Bar. And honestly, there will whatever I do for the rest of my life, I will never feel as much of a celebrity as I did working in the Park Bar. Because everybody from the islands knows you because you work there. You. Yeah. And it's a great place. It's still the same today. <laughs> That's incredible. So would would, uh, would you have gone to Glasgow for the first time to go to university? Is that, yeah, is that's it right. that long? Okay. Yeah, that's right at 18. And, um, you know, I, I, I moved to university to do one of those really practical, useful degrees. I have a Master of Arts in Old Icelandic Studies. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yes. I mean, you can imagine on a day-to-day basis if I, I'm shocked when I don't use my degree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that's, I, I was going to ask about, about going. So I thought I, it's kind of funny. I looked up the distance from Glasgow to, uh, to Stornoway, which is, it's about the distance for an American listener. I think it's something like Washington DC to New York, which does not seem like that great of a distance, but with the, with the boat travel, being on an Island, being going, have to go through the, the highlands to, it's a, it is quite the, quite the journey. It's, it is much more remote than, than, a, a you know, as the crow flies or as the bird flies distance. Yeah, you're right. It does still feel like an adventure. And for those who are going to maybe travel to Scotland for the first time, I do really encourage, well, obviously I'm going to encourage folk to come to the Hebrides, but I also encourage people to do it by ferry. There's something mm. 
that just adds to the experience of getting in a ferry and heading to an island in that way, which is completely different to like flying there, you know? So even though it's a journey, it's just worth it. It's just a feeling that's so different. And, you know, thousands, thousands of years of people making that some version of that journey, right? I mean, it's you're, you're following Absolutely. in the footsteps of so many people. So many people. And just as an added bonus, the macaroni cheese on the Caledonian McBrain Ferry is spectacular. So for that alone, it's worth the trip over the Atlantic. <laughs> and, you know, and you know food. So I think everyone needs to take your word for this. <laughs> Mentioning history. So... Broadly speaking, does the history of Scotland, you know, the the the, the wars of independence, so all that sort of stuff, does that have much resonance for for you growing up, or is or are you much more focused on on Norse history and the history of the islands? Yeah, it's a very good point, and I'm going to be totally honest. Um, growing up, I'm not too sure how much of a Scottish identity I had. Like, and I'm talking like late 70s, early 80s. I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, I think during that era, the Scottish identity was, was kind of being lost. It was being pushed away from us in a way. And I'm so relieved that there is a strong sense of Scottish identity back. I've always felt Hebridean and the Gaelic uh, or kind of Gaeltoch, uh, kind of identity that I have is very important to me. But yes, I feel 100% Scottish as well. And I think um, the identity that um, Scottish people have is something to be very proud of. But at the same time, the Hebridean identity is different. We are mm. proudly Scottish, but we are, yeah, we are a wee bit different. Different language, different culture, different landscapes, different music. Yes. And I'm very proud of that and happy that I have this kind of dual life uh, in that way. And, and we have that in Canada with uh, with Quebec, with French speakers, but also in places like Cape Breton, where there is a, str a strong Gallic uh, heritage as well. And it's a very different place than, say, where I, where I grew up, uh, despite the fact that both places uh, are full of Scottish people. Uh, I'm from a I'm from a place named for Wa William Wallace, and uh, and you know Cape Breton is is Cape Breton, for instance. Uh, you 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 mentioned language, so you speak Gaelic, obviously. I I imagine the language is still important to the people of Lewis. I think it's it's probably one of the the few places where it is is well spoken, where it's where it's something that's uh, pretty common. Yeah, I mean it's um it was the the, the day to day language of my home growing up. It's still the day-to-day -day language of my home now. Um, and yes, the Outer Hebrides are very much the center of, of the Gaelic language. Um, and certainly, again, kind of 80s, 90s, there was a real fear that the language was uh, could disappear. And it's still a minority language. There is only 60,000 people in the world who can speak it fluently. Uh, mm -hmm. or speak it as, a, as, as their, one of their languages. Um, but there is a real resurgence in the language, and it's fantastic to see, be that at school level, you know, um, in every city and town in Scotland, you can now go through Gaelic language school from age of five to 18 and learn your mathematics and sciences, Incredible. everything from Gaelic, which is wonderful. And I'm also very proud of the our TV channel, BBC Oliver, 
which um, produces fantastic content. Like uh, if anybody's coming over or if anybody has a way of watching BBC, really it has such wonderful content uh, of history and sport and music um, on a very small budget. Um, mm -hmm. I think having that platform as well as our radio channel, Radio Nagel, is keeping the language current and alive, which is very important to us. Incredible. Uh, how how does growing up on the Isle of Lewis shape your worldview? You talked about this a little bit, but I know I've read the you know about the wholesome, simple life. Is is that kind of approach a result of being Hebridean? Um, I I think it's part part of that. I think what comes from that as well is an unbelievably strong work ethic. Um, you will find it's really interesting. You, you can imagine now, even that we have a lot of people moving to the islands. Um, mm -hmm. They see the beauty of the islands. They see our culture, and and maybe our homes are are cheaper than they are in central London. <laughs> um, so they, they they move, and they, a lot of people move to say they want a slower pace of life. That they want to be remote. That's actually not what the the Hebrides are about. Um, most people in the Hebrides have three, four, five jobs. <laughs> they're, yeah. They've got their, their working croft where they have sheep uh, or other animals. They have their day job. They've probably got a boat to go out fishing at the weekends. People work really hard. It isn't this picture perfect um, escapism that a lot of people mm -hmm. perceive it to be. And even though I talk, I talk about it in a in a beautiful way. I do al always try and show a bit of reality to to the islands as well, because you know, it only takes a few weeks into winter, and winter kind of starts at the end of August. Um, and knowing you've got that until like April time, that it gets dark. Remember, yes. the, the 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 next thing west of us is Canada. <laughs> yeah, you're you're very so, you're much farther north than I am, for instance. Yeah, much, much farther north. So there's nothing to stop the storms coming, and so our weather is challenging. Our soil is not very fruitful. Um, our ferries get cancelled. There's no food in the supermarkets. You know, it's not always the most glamorous <laughs> and beautiful yes. place to be, but there's still enough to make it an absolutely wonderful, wonderful place. So I do want to paint a beautiful picture of the Hebrides. But I also want to make sure people realize that, um, you know, the sun doesn't always shine. Uh, usually it doesn't shine when I'm trying, when I'm doing a photo shoot for my cookbooks, to be fair. Um, but it is a very special place. And people always come away with something that they've never experienced before. You know, hearing mm -hmm. the Gaelic language for the first time or hearing Gaelic music for the first time. Um, being in the center of a 5,000-year-old stand, uh, kind of stone circle, um, you know, just the, the beauty is, is absolutely spectacular. The beaches are always rated in like the top 20 beaches in the world, you know. So many special things on such a small island. Um, so please come and visit. Yeah, it's a special place, but it's a real place, I think. is It's is a the... real place. Yes, right. It's, it's, there are real people. There are real people who really live there and really work there. <laughs> you cannot yeah. forget that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I might be, I don't think I'm overstepped. I, I think you're arguably one of the most prominent Hebrideans in an international sense, thanks to your incredible work on social media. Uh, your books have taken you all around the world. You've toured across the United States, visited Toronto. 
and you're in uh, South Africa. I put South America here, but you're in South Africa as we speak. Uh, you're an enthusiastic representative of, of Scotland's islands. What would you want people to know about the Isle of Lewis or the Hebrides in general that you don't think they know, apart from what you just said? Because I think that could have e easily been an answer to this question. But what should people know about about the, the Outer Hebrides that they they maybe don't? Hmm. Well, I, th I think to, to highlight your first uh, comment there, I mean, it, it's it's quite humbling to think that anybody outside my village knows who I am. So it's uh, amazing <laughs> to know that there's people around the world that the, the storylines and the recipes of the Hebridean baker, has, has, it's resonated with. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I look at other Hebridean folk. I mean, as I said, music and Gaelic music is very important to us. And um, I'm sure many of your listeners will know the singer Julie Fowlis, who's from the, uh, the uh, North US, and what she has done for Gaelic culture and music, uh, I will never be in, in her stratosphere. I think she's just the most wonderful ambassador for the, for the islands. Um, but what people maybe, uh, as I said, won't be so familiar with, as I said, is just how we have been pulled from country to country through our history. Um, and the fact that our culture is so influenced by different parts of the world. Um, as I said, we were part of the Viking Kingdom of Norway for 400 years. Um, but during that time was when St. Columba uh, came from Ireland. Uh, he came with two things, um, Christianity and Gaelic, the Irish Gaelic language. Um, and uh, from that, that was so intertwined when it came to our island. Of course, the Vikings were there with their old West Norse language as well. So from that, it's a really interesting mix because say if um, say somebody's visiting from Ireland and they have a, a Gaelic a, 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 to, to speak, if they speak very slowly, and I mean very slowly, and I'm speaking Gaelic, we could probably understand each other well enough. And maybe we won't get every word that they're saying, but you know, there's a, I'll, I'll get the feeling of the sentence uh, yes. well enough. Um, and so it's, I always, because there is a slight mix up that people call it Gaelic, but Gaelic is the Irish language and Gaelic is the Gaelic. Scottish language. And they are, even though they're the same family and a, a very happy family of languages, uh, we, are, we are different enough for us to struggle to speak, uh, speak to each other. Um, but I think overall the Outer Hebrides um, is somewhere that people are starting to, to learn more about because they'll know the island of Skye, uh, Mal, Iona for all their wonderful um, experiences at the gate. When I do my when I did my North American book tour and I asked folk, you know, have you been to Scotland? The answer was nearly always the same. Yes, I've been to Edinburgh and then I did, I did a three day trip to the Isle of Skye. And that's amazing. And they had a wonderful experience. But I think now is the time to just step over and get that ferry to the Outer Hebrides because you will experience something that you've never experienced before in Scotland. Yes. Okay. And so I, if I wasn't clear with that question, I do think regardless as to whether you agree that you're the most prominent of, of the representatives of the Hebrides, I, I do think you're a wonderful representative of the Isle of Lewis. Your Instagram and TikTok accounts, which are fantastic, have plenty of baking, but I'd encourage listeners to visit them to learn a little bit about island life as well. Before we end, I do want to give you a moment to talk about your new book, The Hebridean Baker, My Scottish Island Kitchen. What will people find in this book? 
well, uh, it's my second cookbook. Um, my first one, Recipes and Wee Stories from the Scottish Islands, came out uh, last year. And now my Scottish Island Kitchen is my, my second book. Wonderfully, um, uh, I've been the best-selling cookbook author in Scotland for the past two years. And when I did visit Canada uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was doing a TV show called The Social, yes. the social uh, which yes. was great fun. And I actually love being on the show. And they even were able to tell me when I was on the show, which was um, uh, going out live, that I just hit the Canadian bestseller list um, that week, which was just unbelievable to hear that. And so what folk will get from the book is probably three things. Firstly, I love using traditional Scottish recipes. And what I mean by that, I love looking at old cookbooks. One of my favorites uh, was written in 1929. It's called The Scots Kitchen by F. Marion McNeil. And she, I mean, I would love to aspire to say I have a, a similar vision to her because she went around Scotland making sure that traditional recipes were kept. She was worried that they would be lost. And mm. I kind of feel that I've been trying to do the same with the, the stories, and the recipes that I put in the book. So you'll have traditional recipes, you'll have Scottish flavors, and then I love putting a Scottish twist on a classic recipe. It makes me smile. You know, I've got one recipe called uh, a hot toddy bunt cake, and it really is the classic flavors of a hot toddy, but rather than a drink, I would recommend you still have the drink uh, as well, but <laughs> in a cake, and it's an absolute winner. So I love making recipes that will make people smile and mm -hmm. you know, simple and wholesome. And complementing that, each chapter I write uh, a story about the Hebrides or about something that's happened to my family in, 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 in the years gone past. And actually, it's probably my favorite part of the book is, is the stories that I'm allowed to, to write in them. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, apart from the beautiful photography of the food, you'll see me, you know, looking wistful on top of mountains in my kilt. And we can't not mention Shoris, the West Highland Terrier, who, to be totally honest with you, is the global star. Is I completely star. get in the way of his uh, world <laughs> domination with my recipes. So basically, if you like cute wee puppies, Men in kilts, tasty food, and some good Scottish funny stories. Then this book should be on your Christmas list. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes, everyone should go out and uh, and buy that book. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Great, great to be with you. That is all for this episode of Sixty Three Percent Scottish. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for 63% Scottish and you'll find us. If you want to help our show keep growing, consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This show is supported through promotional partnerships with the St. Andrews Society of Toronto, the Scottish Society of Ottawa, the St. Andrews Society of Los Angeles, the St. Andrews Society of Winnipeg, the Clans and Scottish Societies of Canada, the Singapore St. Andrews Society, the St. Andrews Society of the State of New York, and Chicago Scots. If you live in any of these places, I encourage you to find out how you can get involved. Links to all of these organizations are in the description for this episode. We also receive promotional support from the Scots Corner page on Facebook and the Center for Scottish Studies at the University of Guelph. This show owes a debt of gratitude to the Scottish Banner, 
the premier publication for Scottish people and those of Scottish heritage in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United States of America. You can find all of our episodes on their website along with short articles on each subject. Again, links are in the episode description. Music in this episode is from Roman Senec Music. Thank you for listening to 63% Scottish. Until next time, cheers and slantia.